Mm-hmm. It's shameful and haunting at the same time, you know? Mostly I think shameful. You're mostly <laughs> shameful. <laughs> Welcome back to Royals Weekly. I am your host, Marcus Mead, and joining me as always, the two-term president of the Kansas City chapter of the 50 Shades of Grey fan club, my brother, Mike. You know, why I always got to be something weird, man? I'm playing <laughs> sick here. Uh, this, is, this is basically Michael Jordan's flu game, all right? Yeah, is this uh, is that is that bad? Is, is that a bad thing? You're, you're uh, 50 Shades I of mean, Grey I, fan? I expect to perform that Is the world not supposed to know about this, or...? Me being sick or the fifth, no, the, the president of the fifth. I've never fandom. even read the book or your seen the fandom. movie. Oh, come on. Come I on. I haven't. Wink. In your book club, in your, in your uh, book wine club. I'm, I'm more of a fan of the secretary. If you've ever seen that one, <laughs> got a very similar feel to it. <laughs> that's good. Like, really people the, are going to get that one. That's really the precursor that to that one. Uh, uh, yeah. But anyway. no, yeah. I'm like Ronnie Locke getting his pinky cut off here because I'm sick and I came on to do this anyway. He is sick. Right? He is. He is. So excuse any delirious, terrible things he says. That is just his illness speaking. On this week, we'll review a so-so week, not a great week from the Royals. We'll discuss the team's anemic offense and we'll preview this week's games against the White Sox and Yankees. But first, a couple of awesome weekly weirdos chimed in to review the podcast. Please remember that you can do this as well. It moves us up on the search results when you do reviews, when you give us high ratings, and it makes the, you a finalist for the Nobel Peace Prize. I'm pretty sure I've heard it said. Yeah. That, yeah. Uh, I've heard that people saying that. That's one of several, the criteria. Uh huh. Yeah. For the Nobel Peace Prize. Yeah. Or it, maybe it's the prize in physics. Why not? You know? I don't know. You know, whatever. <laughs> it makes you either a genius or a terrific person to review this podcast. And so I say, you know, worth the two minutes. Anyway, our first review comes from a Twitter follower called Chris Michaels, who you can follow on Twitter at people says I'm smart. That's at P P L S A Y S I M smart. Uh, he's a interesting baseball researcher. And so I've been reading some of his stuff and it's really cool. He writes for baseball almanac. He's a good follow. He just sort of uh, started tweeting out a lot. Make sure you follow him and, and get some insight on the Royals, big Royals fan. He wrote, uh, loved this week's show, new listener. I can tell you love our Royals while maintaining an objective approach to analyzing on-field performance and off-field moves. Do yourself a favor and carve out an hour each week to listen to this show. You'll feel like one of the fellows in no time. That's the whole the whole point. You're supposed to feel like you're just sitting in the middle of a conversation with Tweedledum and Tweedledumber. That's the, whole, mm-hmm. that's the whole thing, right? That's the whole premise. We didn't want to get too complicated with this, with this podcast. Our second review comes from another unpronounceable name they didn't actually like leave a name it's just like it's like somebody just sat on a bot to put it it could be a bot it could be a bot but they get pretty specific to be a bot and so Mm. i'll just go ahead and read it and you can hear what i'm saying the title of it is one of the very best royals podcasts so uh uh-huh put us in the hall of fame (laughs) it says if you're looking for fun but insightful royals conversations these are your guys marcus and mike do a great job providing legitimately useful context to the royals without making everything doom and gloom which is nice at the moment great podcast it is nice at the moment because right now you could very easily be doom and gloom about this team you know they are not playing tremendously We'll start our review of last week with a little bit of roster news. There was only really one significant move made, and I feel like that was sending down Kyle Isbell, which also led them to bring up Ronald Bolaños. Mike, what do you think about Isbell, why they decided to not to, to put him on the team to begin with, and then to send him down at this moment? This, this is a real head scratcher because we said on this podcast, and a lot of other people said in the Royals universe, well, if he's going to make the team, 
they must be planning on playing him. Why else would he make the team? If he wasn't going to play, you'd send him down to AAA to continue to get numerous at-bats in a week. Boy, were we dumb. That was completely wrong. Were we dumb or were the Royals dumb? Let's well, and that's the thing. That. It makes me think, like, is there a, a lack of communication between front office who's deciding who to keep on the team and manager who's deciding who to play every day? Like, I, I watched Moneyball the other day, so I'm, I'm a little paranoid about these things. Um, <laughs> but I can't understand why... Kyle Isbell even made the team that was two weeks wasted of this season just sitting up here. I am excited about Ramon Bolaños, and uh, I saw him pitch the other day. He seemed to do pretty well. He did really well last year before getting hurt. I'm excited to see him throw a little bit, but what did we, what did we do that for? What were we doing? <laughs> and that's why I asked, is it is it us who are dumb or is it the Royals who are dumb? Because they came out and said after he sat there for 10, 11 days, two weeks, two weeks with no plate appearances in the major leagues, they came out and said, well, we need to get him every day at bats. Uh, didn't you need to two weeks ago? Did you not think two weeks ahead? W- what happened? What what was going on in the thinking here that was like, we're going to bring him up and he's going to play enough to, to stay sharp right, right away? What did, what did you think? I mean, I don't understand the thought process that leads us to say, we want him to make the team. We think that's going to be okay for his development but we're also never going to play him. Yeah. It's almost like lost there. It's almost like they wanted to just reward him for a good spring. Like, Hey, there you go. But that's not how this playing is not a reward. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I know. You made the big league club and you can say it about Olivares too. Hey, you made the big league club. And and this is often my big, this is often my big critique of the Royals is they just don't seem to ever have a long-term plan. It seems like they are making decisions day to day all the time. And that's not really good when you're a small market team that needs to have long-term plans that need to sort of be thinking far ahead because you can't go out and spend away your mistakes. You have to have a plan. That's two weeks of development that Isbell now doesn't have. That's two weeks of not seeing pitching that he, he doesn't have. Now he has to go down to AAA, try and hit after not hitting for three weeks and, and try and sort of build up his confidence there, get himself in a groove there. And then maybe he gets to come back later, but what was the whole point of that loss? Three weeks, three weeks is something you keep making these types of mistakes. You keep not thinking ahead. It's really indicative of a franchise that just does not prepare for anything really. And a franchise that doesn't prepare sounds like a franchise that would go two and four this week, which the Royals did. They went two and four this week. That brings their overall record to five and nine. We knew this would be a tough week, kind of. The Minnesota Twins are a pretty good team. Seattle's a good team. They won 90 games last year. They did get a series win from Minnesota. Then they went ahead and got swept by Seattle. Seattle's a very good team, and the Royals were facing some tough pitchers this week. But you really hate to get swept at all, ever, in a series, especially in some of the ways that they got swept this week. Yeah, they they were close in every one of those Seattle games. Like, you got to take, got to get one of them. You know, you can't just continue to do, and and it's, there's so many instances that you can point out and go, damn it. Like that one thing that Keller's air, that eighth inning, mm-hmm. some, some weird decisions to swing at pitches late in that game today. Mm-hmm. It's like, damn it. We were so close to getting at least one of these things. And then you come out with nothing. Yeah. And it shows you like baseball games turn on a, on a, on a hair, right? They're not, they're, they're like, you know, it's not some gigantic thing. Usually it's usually one small thing like that Keller error. It's one small thing like that pitch that shouldn't have been swung at. It's always like one small thing. And the Royals seem to be missing on every small thing. Like they got, who got guns? To, oh yeah. Ben Intendi. Ben Intendi got gunned. At he third. he drives in a run and extra innings pinch hitting. Then it gets thrown out on the bases at third. Again, would have been two on nobody out. He makes it 
one on a guy on first one out. And that, that changes the whole complexion of the game. They could have won it right there in the 10th. Instead, he gets thrown out at third and you know, the, the game goes the way that it goes. They end up losing in 12. It's that sort of thing. That was sort of that, that, typifies the week i think a little bit you know they can do some good things they did some good things in that twin series they scored some runs in this seattle series a little bit and then they go out and they get thrown out on the bases or they have a terrible at bat i saw two of the worst bats of his career from whit merrifield in the extra innings today it was just yeah. gross it was bad this, he struck out the, four the times last one yeah the last one after the guy had walked the two previous hitters it's like man this guy can't find the zone what are you doing swinging yeah. at pitches and some and they were outside the zone he gets like, down. Man. I think he got down O two in that at bat, and it's like you you just got down O two to a guy who can't I think throw it was one two, but it was still like might have been one two. You could have yeah, just still. you should have been just looking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, rough week, not great. Kind of typifies this kind of team. We'll see if it ultimately amounts to a seventy-five to eighty win season, like a lot of people have predicted. There were a couple strong performances from this week, and we do want to talk about those as the pitching has started to look a little bit better especially the young starters have started to look a little bit better. Mike, tell us about who you thought had a good week this week. Uh, Daniel Lynch was good to see. Uh, He mixed it up a little bit with uh, his pitch mix. Five innings pitch, zero runs, four hits, only two strikeouts, which is not great. Um, But he did only have the one walk. And that still is a thing that's plaguing the Royals is putting guys on bases on base. Um, So if you can build on that, if you can, throw together two or three good starts here, you start to think that Daniel Lynch is a piece that can stay in this rotation long-term. Yeah, I I was very encouraged by the type of outing he had because we saw in his first outing, he was striking out a lot of guys, but he'd make that big mistake and he'd get a hit for a home run and that sort of thing. No big mistakes in this game, really sort of a solid conservative game from him. And when you don't have your strikeout stuff, you still need to be able to go out and throw five innings like this, where you're not giving up a bunch of runs. You're not giving up big home runs. You're just sort of being solid for five innings, getting weak contact and scratching out a really good quality outing. So that was great by him. Hopefully it helps them build some confidence. I want to talk a little bit about a reliever who never gets any publicity, who never gets any hype, but has pitched really, really well this year. A guy I never even expected to make it to the major leagues when they traded for him. And that's Gabe Spire. Gabe Spire is a lefty who was seen as sort of a lefty specialist when they traded for him. I forget what trade they got him in. It was some, you know, small thing, no, no big deal to kind of a trade. They get Gabe Spire. He has gone, he went two and two thirds innings this week, gave up one hit had two strikeouts and zero walks. He has zero earned runs on the year in four innings pitched with five strikeouts. The thing that's made him even more special than I thought he would be is he's up the velocity on his fastball. He's humming it up there at 95 sometimes now. And from the left side, he's just got good command and is looking really, really sharp. He's one of those guys who is going to be the sixth or seventh guy out of our bullpen. And if it's a guy like Gabe Spire, who's pitching as well as he is right now, you have a damn good bullpen if you're running him out there for you know the, the low leverage innings. Yeah. And so one of the things that surprised me about him, they let him go into another inning. So they don't mind him pitching one and two thirds or possibly even at some point, two innings. And that's good to see. Has he started? I want to say he started for us no. at one point. No, well, I'm thinking unless guy. we're, unless we're thinking some sort of bullpen game opener type yeah. of thing. He was never, he was, he's been a reliever his whole minor league career, his whole career, as far as I, at least yeah. he's, since he's been with the, Oh, Royals. I'm thinking of Sparkman. Oh yeah. You're thinking of the old Sparkman. Glenn Sparkman. Yeah. Yeah. He's gone. He's gone. I mean, he's not, as far as I know, he's not dead. He seems fine, but, uh, but yeah, Gabe Spire has been really nice to see. And he's one of those guys that the Royals can do this. The things we know the Royals can do is find relief pitching. And he is one of those guys that they found that they did a good job maximizing. And he looks like he's going to be a very solid piece in the bullpen. 
Of course, in a week where you lose four games, not everybody's going to play super well. We've had some weak performances this week. Mike, who's on the top of your list of guys who haven't got it done this week? Adalberto Mondesi at two for 17, zero extra base hits, no walks and six strikeouts. And that's not un-Mondesi-like at times. He's always been a streaky hitter, but he's not getting anywhere near that thing. Um, the hit, that, One of the hits that he had, I don't, I don't remember what the other one was, but one of them's a bunt too. Like, come on, we're, he's not right now in that place where he needs to be to consistently hit. Maybe he, I don't know, maybe he, he is just what he is. I'm going to talk about it a little bit more later, but we may never get more of a Mondesi than, hey, he'll go on a two or three week terror and go dormant for a month. I don't know, but he's definitely dormant right now. Yeah, I saw a tweet from uh, former Royals beat writer Jeffrey Flanagan who asked in the tweet, is there anyone in baseball who looks more helpless on sliders down and in than Alberto Mondesi? And I responded, he swings over the Alberto Mondesi against any fastball. <laughs> yeah, <there you> go. <laughs> because, because that's true. I mean, it's not, oh, just the slider down and in, he can't touch it. The guy's missing fastballs right down Broadway. And I'm not talking kind of missing them or fouling them off like Bobby Wood Jr. is doing. I mean, he is missing them by feet, not inches. And we're mm-hmm. talking not not like impressive fastballs, 93 mile an hour fastball. He can't touch it. And I don't know what that is. I don't know why. It looks like he can't see the ball. Maybe I don't know. It, time. It's not time, just timing. He's had plenty of time to get his timing. So I don't know what the deal is with him. But we're staring down the barrel of this being a, a really, really rough stretch for Mondesi. And a question that has to be asked is, what's his future on the team? Honestly, I mean, we have lots of options at shortstop. No matter how good your glove is, you can't hit 130 from the shortstop position you're at anywhere in any, in any position in the lineup. Well, here's the thing. We can get Michael Garcia up here to, to hit 225 and play yeah. solid defense. I mean, yeah, even if we can, even if you want to keep Bobby Witt jr. At third, Michael Garcia is having a great season right now at double a, I think. Yeah. And he's going to play competent shortstop and he's not a just black hole in your lineup. Exactly. And we can also get Emmanuel Rivera. Who's really, really hot in triple a right now to come in and play third, have Bobby Witt jr. Move to short. There are a lot of options for that shortstop position that don't count on Mondesi who people talk about him like Byron Buxton because they have both are very injured players, but let's be honest. Mondesi has never been a consistent offensive performer ever. He's only ever been very streaky and overall very bad. Like you would never say he's like overall a very good offensive performer because he's never been one. And so if it looks like he's never going to be one, then you're not just talking about like, Oh, a guy who, if he's healthy, can be great. You're talking about a guy who, never fulfilled his potential and probably never will a guy who is also struggling mightily this week. We just talked about him a little bit already. Whit Merrifield went two for 20 this week with two doubles, one walk and one strikeout that will not cut it. They moved him out of the leadoff spot for a couple of games, put him in the two hole, just really, really struggling. People have talked about, yeah, part of it's that, you know, the ball's just not falling for him. His expected batting average is much higher than his actual batting average. If you look at his baseball uh, savant page, his stat cast data. So some of that is just bad luck, right? Some of it's bad at plate appearances too. I mean, he, he is swinging at too many pitches. The thing is Merrifield never learned a good approach because he was such a high contact guy. He could swing at these pitches on the edge of the strike zone and do fine against them. The problem is when your bat slows down, when you become, you know, when guys start to figure you out, when the game changes a little bit, when the stuff that pitchers have gets so much better, then you're going to struggle when you're trying to hit those pitches. Right now, he's a 33-year-old guy trying to hit like he did when he was 28, and it's not working very well. Yeah, and we're going to talk about it a little bit more later, but his expecting batted average is higher. It's 250, but 
if you look at that StatCast data as far as exit velocity goes, he's never been a big exit velocity guy. He's been kind of a placement hitter, but now his launch angle is a little higher. So he's just flying out a ton and his exit velocity is even lower now. So it's like, man, I think you wrote an article for Royals uh, Farm Report this year about, or just like a week ago, a few days ago. I don't know. My days are all messed up. But you talked about how hitters are swinging at pitches in the shadow, as you called it. The, as uh, baseball savant calls it. As baseball savant calls it. The, the pitch, swing at pitchers' pitches. Well, Merrifield's been doing that, like you said, for a long time, but it's not working out right now. I do expect that to come up, but um, it's it, it's not great. And he's not the he's not ever probably going to be the Merrifield we want from 2018 and 2019. With that in mind, we started asking questions about like how long do you give guys like Mondesi and Merrifield and Santana? I think one of my themes for the week is we're now to that point where you need to start making some changes. And I, I don't think that Merrifield or Mondesi necessarily need to be cut or anything like that, but there are some changes you can think about offensively that might help, right? Do we need to start rotating these guys out more, getting Edward Olivares in the lineup more? Do we need to think about cutting Santana? Do we need to think about getting some guys up from AAA who are doing well? You know, uh, Vinny Pascantino is doing well. Kyle Isbell isn't doing well because he's only hit for like a week, but you know, is he ready to come up and hit in the big leagues? The question we need to start asking is what changes need to be made? Yeah, I, I agree with that completely, but you know, I don't think that's what the Royals are going to do. <laughs> you know, they like to really wait and see. You never lose money betting on the Royals to do nothing. Exactly. Yeah. You never lose money on patience and trust in the process. Uh, <laughs> my theme for the week is take what they give you. There's too many pitches coming down the middle that we aren't hitting. And there's too many pitches out of the zone we're swing, swinging at. Those are things they're giving to you. You have to do damage on pitches down the middle. You have to be able to take a pitch outside the zone. We, I mean, this is maybe the worst I've seen the Royals at this. I've, it's really hard to watch a 92-mile-an-hour fastball right down the middle and watch a guy swing through it. And it's not just Mondesi. Or foul it off. Like or foul it off, yeah. I mean, Whit Merrifield uh, has fouled off so many fastballs right down Broadway. Michael A. Taylor swung at a 93-mile-an-hour oh, fastball yeah. right down the middle in a 3-0 count today. Uh, in the in extras and I you know it's one of the rare times I would ever say actually that wasn't a terrible time for him to swing 3-0 but that's the pitch you have to be looking for hit the damn thing like you're a professional baseball player fastballs down the middle that's that's what everybody wants that's so what you I, get in batting practice they yeah, throw you fastballs down the middle a, that's why they call them batting the practice point. fastballs <laughs> yeah it's a little frustrating to watch that especially when you go on you're like when you watch other you know you're watching the other team take at bats and stuff you're like it's not the same. They're not doing the same thing we are on a consistent basis. So, yeah, it's rough. Although, you know, there's there's been like this idea of a hitting regime change in the coaching on the coaching side. I don't know if there's been enough time yet for that to maturate. I saw some people on Twitter going up. Oh, the hitting coach has to be fired. Well, I don't know if that's going to happen because they're, they're going to want to give time for this new hitting approach to, to start filtering up because they just brought those guys up from the minors this year. If you like what you're hearing, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on whatever platform you use. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing helps people find the show and helps us build a larger community. If you leave us a five-star rating and good review, we'll make sure to give you a shout-out and read a snippet of your review on the next show. Also, follow us on Twitter and Facebook, at Royals Weekly. We're constantly posting new analysis and commentary, so check that out. 
If you've been watching the games recently, you know the Royals' offense has looked like something between a dumpster fire and the goop in the bend of a clogged bathroom drain. You know what I'm talking about, Mike? You know what that's about? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. We've all seen it. That's that's what the Royals. It's Mm -hmm. shameful and haunting at the same time. You know, I figure mostly (laughs) shameful. (laughs) I figure what will help is a couple of random morons talking about it on a podcast. So we're going to help the Royals offense by letting them know how they need to make it better. I'm sure Dayton Moore listens. So we're we're Mm -hmm. good. Mike, what's going on? Why can't this offense score any runs? Um, Aggression. Not a good thing all the time. That's the thing I put in the rundown here. And you hear it, 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 it's like fingernails on a chalkboard when I hear Rex Hudler say, well, you got to be aggressive. You got to be aggressive. I'm like, we swing at nothing but balls outside the zone. You don't think we're aggressive enough, Rex? Come on. We're not nobody aggressive sees, enough on the base path. Nobody sees fewer pitches than this team, Rex. Yeah. Trust us. <laughs> exactly. Nobody sees fewer pitches than this like, team. What are we talking about? Be aggressive. Are you crazy? Like, we're so aggressive on the base path. We get thrown out constantly. <laughs> like, Better maybe. Team, just being aggressive out there on the base yeah. path. Can't maybe and just maybe aggression for us is a bad thing. How about this? Patience, not just at the plate, let it come to you in the base paths too, right? Take some time. You know, they they made a big deal of uh Ryan O'Hearn taking a fastball right down the middle in yesterday's game for strike three. I would like to know how the Royals stand against the league and number of times striking out on looking because it never happens. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so rare. Not that you want to strike out looking, but are we looking at pitches? Like how much of this is, are we taking enough pitches? I would argue no. Yeah, I think, and I think this is an organizational flaw. I think Dayton Moore and the Royals decided a long time ago that because of the ballpark they play in, because of the success they had in 14 and 15 and stuff like that, that they needed to craft a particular type of team. And that type of team was a high contact team, a quote unquote aggressive team at the plate that's going to spray the ball all over the field and run like hell. That's a bad idea. In modern baseball, that is a bad idea. You end up with a team just like this team. They're swinging all the time. They're hitting nothing. And then you're also going to end up with a team that is wildly inconsistent at the plate. So maybe we'll come to a point this year where we see a two-week stretch where they're scoring eight, nine runs a game. And then they'll go another two weeks scoring two runs a game because you are at the whim of the bat bip gods if you are constantly swinging and constantly putting balls in play. And you also end up promoting and bringing forth a whole bunch of hitters who are doing exactly what we're talking about where they're hitting, they're swinging at pitches in the shadows. They're, they're constantly swinging at pitches outside the zone. You can't do damage or you can do, you do less damage on the pitches on the edges of the strike zone. You do less pitches on the day on the, or damage on the pitches outside the strike zone. It's an organizational flaw. You can tell top to bottom that they've never, ever, ever emphasized approach. Approach is why the Tampa Bay Rays and the Oakland A's constantly take people nobody thinks anything of and develops them into good hitters because they teach people how to have the right approach when hitting, how to do damage on pitches in the heart, lay off pitchers pitches unless you have to swing at them and don't swing when they're outside the strike zone. They, they develop hitters with approach being a central part of their process. The Royals, I think, are so focused on things like swing mechanics and stuff like this. They're not care, they don't care enough about what is this hitter's approach? How can we help them be more patient, damage, do damage on pitches in the heart, and lay off pitches on the edges? We'll see if that changes, but right now it's, it's just an organizational flaw. Of course, not everybody is struggling at the plate right now. A few guys are hitting, but the guys who aren't hitting really aren't hitting. That's like the big thing. So you're like Perez is hitting a little bit and Andrew Benintendi is really hot, but then you have three or four guys who are just 
the worst hitters in the league right now. And so Mike and I are going to go through each of these struggling hitters individually, and we're going to talk about what might get them going. Mike, what's your take on Whit Merrifield? What's going to get him going? Well, in the rundown, I wrote patience and understanding with in parentheses, good luck. If you look at a lot of his numbers and stuff, they don't look all that different from the years that he had good years. So a lot of it is going to boil down to as a placement style hitter, like he is a guy who's never had high exit velocities. He's got to have a consistent launch angle. That's going to allow him to hit line drives. And right now he doesn't have that, but he can do himself a favor later in his career. If he does what we just talked about, develop a better approach and you're going to elongate your career. If you're uh, Whit Merrifield. Yeah. I think we also need to sort of reorient what we think Whit Merrifield will be. I think he's a league average hitter at best. He's going to be a guy who, instead of hitting 290, 300, is going to hit 250, 260, 270, even for the rest of the season. So like from this point on, let's say you you cut off the first, however long it's been, two or three weeks, and you say, hey, Merrifield from this point to the end, how's he going to do? I think we can't expect more than 260, 270, because he's just not as he gets older, the bat slows down a little bit as he, you know, as things change with the way pitchers are pitching him, you see, he is really struggling with that high fastball because, you know, it's hard to hit and, but he wants to swing at it because he used to be able to hit those, but guys are just living up there now with the high octane fastballs that come across the plate at a weird angle and he's struggling with it, you know? And so as he gets older, it's only going to get harder to hit those pitches, but if he keeps swinging at him, he's in trouble. So I don't, th- I think the days of Whit Merrifield being a 290, 300 hitter are gone. I had hopes before the season that he could maybe pull out one more of those really good offensive seasons, but I just don't see it at this point. Uh, if he does develop that approach, if he starts, like if some of them start falling and it is a luck thing to some degree, then yeah, maybe he'll go on a hot stretch for a while and, and regather some of that offensive value. But f- I just don't think there's too much to do to change Whit Merrifield. The same might actually be true of the next hitter we're talking about, and that's Carlos Santana. Mike, what's it going to take for Santana to either turn it around or something to change with him? A time machine. You know, <laughs> Carlos Santana just is not going to be the hitter that he was in Cleveland ever. We need to get rid of him. He, I think uh, I was listening to Royals Farm Report podcast the other day. They said he is statistically the worst hitter in baseball right now that plays every day. And there isn't anything you can do about that. Yes, he had a home run to tie the game yesterday i think but that's too few and far between the best you're going to get from him right now is somewhere hovering around a 300 obp which that's his thing his thing is being able to get on base Um, i just don't see it happening I, i don't think there's anything you can do father time is undefeated yeah it is and you're not gonna see a Jorge Soler type turnaround. Jorge Soler was 31 last year when, when he was turning around and Jorge Soler is carved out of granite. Okay. And so, you know, you imagine he's going to maybe turn it around or get hot or something like that. Looking at Santana, watching him at the plate. I it's just, it's not coming. Like the turnaround is not coming. Yeah. He might get hotter for a little while. He had a home run yesterday. I think he hit a single today. Some balls might start dropping for him, but you're, t- you're right. You're even if he gets to where he should be quote unquote, or, or can be, we're not talking about somebody who's putting up the types of numbers a first baseman needs to put up for you. He's basically a 300 on base guy, a guy who takes a lot of walks, but has no value on the base path because he's not very fast. And so what good is he? What, what's he doing for you right now? He's just a big black hole right in your lineup, sometimes right in the middle of your lineup. And that's not doing any good for anybody. Yeah. And it hurts even more when you got Pascantino tearing the cover off the ball in triple a and you're going, wait, this guy provides a, possibly a better, you know, probably a better bat, 
at least one you need to be seeing. He probably plays a better first base, though Pascantino's not a great first baseman. Neither is Santana. And so it's like, wait, what, what are we waiting on? Uh, is the idea that, that you're going to try and up his trade value, one, that's extremely unlikely, and two, then you're saying, well, we're cool not winning. Yeah. <laughs> like, What's your best case scenario there? Like, let's, let's say he does go off. Let's say he starts hitting a little bit and you get a Jorge Soler type deal for him. What's the, you're getting a Casey Kelich. You're getting a minor league long shot reliever. Is that even worth it? Is that even worth the next two months of watching him try and hit? Is that even worth the next two months of not getting Pascantino up or Nick Prado up to have them start facing major league hitting? That's a question they have to ask. Cause I think there's something lost by continuing to leave guys down who are ready to come up. Now, Nick Prado, I don't think has hit well enough to get a promotion. And I wouldn't promote Pasquantino right now either, just because it's only been a couple of weeks of the minor league season. I want to see him do it for a month in AAA before I'm like, okay, he's ready to come up. I want to see Prado turn it around and do it. And he started to hit a little bit more lately, but you're right. It's for Santana. There is no good solution there. Better off to just sort of have him be a bench bat for you, quote unquote, and have Dozier play first. And some other configuration will allow uh, people to get some more bats for guys like Edward Olivares or Emmanuel Revere if they bring him up or somebody else if they bring them up. Perhaps the hardest one to sort of crack, the hardest nut to crack in this offensive uh, quagmire. Yeah, let's go with Quagmire, um, <laughs> is Adalberto Modesty. He right now is swinging at pitches that he's not even close to hitting. Mike, what what is your thoughts on what Modesty needs to do to find some success? Well, here's the thing. I'm not sure there's a lot of hope for him to change as a hitter. We've seen a tra- long track record that really hasn't changed for Mondesi as a hitter. Now, it may look like it changed here and there because he would have these stretches where he was hurt would come back, tear the cover off the ball and then get hurt again. So then it looks kind of like this is a thing where perception may not exactly be reality. It may look like he's a better hitter than what he actually is because for the short stint of time, he was healthy. He hit the ball, but I don't, I just don't see there's a lot of opportunity to give him a better approach. He's been in the league a while and this is the hitter he's been the whole time to give him a better swing. He's a switch hitter, which makes it even harder. And, you know, again, like his track record has been there. I don't know that you're changing Adalberto Mondesi as a hitter. You're going to have to either say we're okay with it or move on. Now, here's the thing. If you're a better team, maybe you can live with it. Maybe he's your nine hitter and you can live with his hot streaks. The Royals need him to hit and we're counting on him hitting. That's not going to happen, I don't think. I think if they want to sort of turn him around in some way, the approach to his hitting game has to be completely different. Okay. He struggles with pitch recognition a lot. He's really, really, really bad at it. And that was something they should have worked on him with many years ago before he ever made it to the major leagues. He is a textbook example of a complete missed opportunity in player development. You look at his career and you say, they did him no favors throughout his time in the organization before he got to the major leagues. But I digress. What they need to do is, yes, work on that approach. Yes, start thinking about like what he can do in terms of what pitches to swing at, what pitches not to swing at. They also need to be really working on hand-eye coordination and really working on making him emphasize contact hitting. Forget being able to drive the ball, honestly. Yes, you have the power, but forget it because it's not doing you any good. Just make contact with the ball. Just put the ball in play. I don't love that he bunts so much because he's not very good at it, 
but I would have him work on it a lot, become really good at it. He needs to become essentially a Nicky Lopez kind of hitter in that he needs to like slap the ball and try and be running them because I feel like he wants to hit like he wants to hit and it's causing massive swing and miss issues. He's taking big rips at pitches. He shouldn't be taking big rips at, and he's just swinging right through them. And so his damage will be done with his legs. If he could just make contact and put the ball in play, he might be a serviceable hitter hitter at this point. We just don't see it from him. Yeah. And he's one of the weird examples here where it's like, I would love to see him in the list of number of pitches seen per at bat. Cause he has to be at the bottom. The guy swings so much. Well, right now he's not hitting touch him, so, at, so at least he's not putting him in the play. Like, that's, that, that means you'll see a couple more pitches every time. I guess. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you're going to get at least three, but you're going right, to get three. at least three every time. But, I mean, because, seriously, you, know, you, you go up there and do you ever feel like, man, that was a good at bat. I never feel like he has a good at bat. Rarely. I rarely it. feels like, feel like he has a good at bat. The weird thing is I have seen him do it before. I just, what, I don't know what's going on in his brain. I don't know what he is seeing and thinking. I, I can tell that he does not recognize pitches very well. And that, that is ultimately what's getting him. Yes. If he could right now, right now is just, it's a low point in his sort of tenure in his career kind of, because he's missing the ones even down the heart of the plate right now. We can't touch anything, but let's assume he gets back to the point where he's at least a competent hitter and is, you know, able to make contact with pitches in the middle of the plate. Even then he has pitch recognition and chase issues. Well, the way you sort of solve that is you make him a more barrel control related type hitter. You say like, okay, you're basically Salvador Perez because you swing at everything and you can't recognize pitches, but we're going to help you make contact with all these ones that you swing at. So you can foul them off, put them in play and then run, you know, stuff like that, because that's who he is at this point. He's not going to actually ever be a good hitter because he is not, does not have the approach necessary to be, to be one. He needs an overhaul like MJ Melendez had oh, between yeah. that. I mean, cause his swing completely changed. He was making a lot more contact. That's kind of what he needs. And he's even more equipped to use it a little better because of the speed that he has. But I don't know. I, I hope, you know, you, there's always the hope. I hope he turns on, gets on a heater and helps us out. But right now it doesn't look great. It doesn't. I'll tell you a guy who I'm a little bit more encouraged about over the last few games. And that's Bobby Witt Jr. The guy who might ultimately replace Adabelt Armadesi at shortstop. He has looked better to me recently. I've sort of seen him develop a little bit he's laying off some pitches he was swinging out he seems less anxious a little bit more selective Mike what do you think will ultimately lead to his turnaround he's got a four-game hitting streak right now what's going to completely turn the corner for him well I think seeing more pitches which we've talked about and then doing damage on the bad ones the one that he he's starting to see a few more pitches I still think he's swinging at you can still tell especially in that at bat and extra innings tonight that he's jumping you know every new opportunity to him is like ah, let's go get it. Like, no, calm down, take pitches, see more pitches. And the one thing that he hasn't really started doing yet is doing damage to the bad ones. He's swinging at the bat, the bat, the pitchers that he, or the pitches that he wants to swing at the ones that are in the middle of the plate, but he's fouling them off. And that's not what you want to see. That won't last forever. He's going to eventually start turning those into really hard hit baseballs. So I do still have a lot of uh, hope that, Bobby Witt Jr. will turn it around, and it seems like he's uh, started that process recently. I, the one thing, if you say, what will be the indicator? When you start seeing him take a walk or two in a game, then I feel like that's going to be the big indicator of, okay, he's ready to start smashing baseballs. 
Yeah. And that's a thing he needs to realize has to be part of his game. I mean, strategically too, he has to take walks to signal to opposing pitchers that he's not going to chase pitches outside the strike zone, that he's not going to, you know, swing early and counts it at pitchers pitches and things like that. He needs to be, be aggressive. He's not going to be aggressive. Yes. God, that is the worst. <laughs> You're right. That is the worst. I cannot stand it. Uh, he should not be an aggressive hitter. If we like, there was that comparison video that was put up between his swing and Mike Trout's what's the big difference between them. Mike Trout is not an aggressive hitter. He is a selective hitter. He swings and does damage at pitches in the areas that he really hits well in. That's usually lower and middle right? He crushes lower and middle and in lower in lower middle. He crushes those. And so he stays away from pitches that are at the top of the zone, which he doesn't do well with, or that are on the edges. Why? Because he's a great hitter. The thing that will keep Bobby Witt Jr. from being a great hitter is his approach. Unless he develops a better one, unless he sort of says, I'm going to spit on pitches outside the zone. I'm going to try and do damage on the ones in the middle. And you're right. He's close. I think he's kind of close because he's making contact with those ones in the middle. He's just fouling them back. He's, he's close. I think if he can just do some damage on those, be a little bit more selective, he'll finally be there. And when he is selective, you'll see that walk rate start to go up. After an off day Monday, the Royals stay on the road with a three-game series against the Shy Sox and then come home to face everyone's favorite cartoon villains, the New York Yankees. Mike, tell us about the Southsiders. How are the White Sox doing so far this year? Uh, the White Sox are 6-9 and nine in third place in the AL Central. Not where people thought that they would be, but this team has been decimated by injury so far. They've lost a whole slew of people. Uh, I think uh, Eloy Jimenez was the latest one to go down mm-hmm. with a hamstring. It's it, and that happened last year too. So they've, they've been really, uh, really, really struggling to keep stay guys or keep guys on the field. But hey, I'm not going to cry for him. Uh, Daniel Lynch will go up against Dallas Keuchel, the 34 year old lefty out of Arkansas. Keuchel's had a lot of good years in the major leagues, but he is not the pitcher that he once was. He is a complete contact ground ball guy now. He's got a 15 ERA. No lie, two two pretty subpar outings for Keuchel so far this year. Um, sinker in the high 80s is going to be the pitch he throws a lot. He'll also throw a cutter quite a bit. But um, Dallas Keuchel is somebody that we should, if we're – now he's the kind of guy that will kill the Royals because he's a location guy. And so if we're patient, we got a chance to touch up Keuchel. Uh, in game two, it's Granke versus Dylan Cease, another guy that we've seen a lot, 26-year-old right-handed pitcher out of Georgia, 3.38 ERA. He's got a good fastball at 96-ish, a good slider, uh, and a curveball, the changeup he doesn't really throw all that much. But he's changed up his pitch mix like a lot of guys are doing to throw the slider a lot more. He's got a really live arm, Dylan Cease. I like him a lot. And then the last one, Keller versus Michael Kopech, 25-year-old right-handed pitcher uh, out of high school out of Texas, I believe. Uh, he was the guy that pitched against Mahomes, wasn't he, in that epic? Like, I want to say yes. Like no, one hitter for Lucas. one guy. Either him. No, or it's Luke it's Kopech. Is it Kopech? It's Kopech. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Was, yeah. Just watch an NFL game. You'll you'll hear the story about it. Um, <laughs> uh, point. Did six you guys know Patrick ERA. Mahomes was a baseball player? He's a baseball player too. I don't know if you heard that. His yeah. dad was probably too. Make, probably makes him a real good quarterback. <laughs> he, which he is. He's the greatest. Um, Kopech's a hard thrower. He's got a long long levers whip kind of a arm. Uh, throws ninety six regularly and can can go higher than that. Slider and curveball. He does have. Well, he throws a lot of fastballs too. At sixty eight percent fastballs, he does have some um, command issues. So if the Royals can be patient and maybe get him out of the game early if he's uh, not not throwing strikes, but he's a good pitcher. Uh, that's a good matchup against Keller. 
after the series with the White Sox, the Royals will come home and they'll face the Yankees here at home. The Yankees are trash. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> trash. Yeah, you hear that? You're trash. Miles Straw. Rights, man. Yeah. You hear that? Yeah, <laughs> you know what's funny is I can't be a fan of a of a guy who plays for Cleveland unless he has actively tried to fight a Yankees fan base yeah. that was throwing trash on the field or throwing trash yeah. at him. You know. Yeah. Then I'm all like, "Yep, Miles Straw, I love you, buddy." You're right. They are classless. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, uh, loved loved seeing that. Uh, don't worry. Hopefully, Royals fans won't throw any trash on the field for that game. In fact, the stadium will probably be half Yankees fans. So, you know, there'll be a real mixed crowd. I have, I have a feeling they'll, they'll the be Yankees coming up right, from Olathe. They'll be coming up, uh, coming and in Lawrence. from Olathe and Overland park. Um, <laughs> Yankee, man, we're trying to cultivate fan bases in Olathe and Overland park. Come on. <laughs> sorry, Olathe uh, and sorry, Lawrence. I apologize. <laughs> the Yankees are 10 and six right now tied for the lead in the AL East. We don't have probables for this game yet, but what you need to know about the Yankees is they're a team decked out with mashers man they got aaron judge Giancarlo stanton anthony rizzo joey gallo josh donaldson their lineup is stacked with home run hitters power hitters and that's gonna be a tough test for the pitching staff i know kaufman is big but it ain't so big that it's gonna hold any of these guys in and so you know it's gonna be a real tough for the for the staff we'll see what the matchups end up being there uh probably it'll, it'll be something like if bubich stays in the rotation i guess it'll be bubich and then what Who's after Bubich Hernandez? Mm, yep. Bubich Hernandez, Hernandez and then Lynch. Lynch again. Yeah. Bubich Hernandez and then Lynch again. Uh, and so we'll see on that one. But for the pitching staff, they're also doing pretty well this season. They have a guy named Nestor Cortez, who's having a really great year this year. Garrett Cole is thought of as kind of their ace. He struggled a little bit to this point, but he had a great outing today. So he throws super hard, has a huge, ginormous contract. Uh, so a lot of other really good established uh, starting pitchers in that lineup as well. This is a very, very good Yankees team. And so we're talking about two super talented teams. The Royals are going to face off against this week. Boy, I'd love it if they just went 500 this week. Uh, I'll take 500 because going up against these two teams, you could definitely see them falling into a little bit of a pit this week. Yeah. And, and you gotta, I hate to say this. You gotta kind of take advantage of the white Sox while they're hurt because both of these teams are good and they can both pitch and they've got payrolls of a bajillion dollars and they suck. So yeah, got to scrap out a couple wins that you're not expected to win in these series. We'll end this week. Like we end every week with our just about outside segment, where we share something that is interested to us outside the world of baseball this week. Mike, what are you getting into outside the world of baseball? I've been getting into the United States football league, man. Uh, you and everybody else. I, I really don't think so. I don't know. Like I watched that the very first game that they played and they're all being played in Birmingham right now. And I think they had the Birmingham team play in the first game. I can't remember, but the stadium was just packed full of people. And I'm going, all right, let's do this. Go watch the second game. Not a damn person in the stands. So I don't know how, how well the attendance numbers are. Maybe the TV numbers are a lot better. I don't know, but I've been digging the USFL, you know, guys that aren't quite good enough to be in the NFL but we're, a lot of them were solid to good college players. Um, some guys maybe you've heard of. Jordan Ta'amu is quarterbacking the uh, Tampa Bay team. He looks – I watched them play the other day. There's no way there are like 64 quarterbacks better than Jordan Ta'amu in the NFL. Like if you think about like a two deep for every team, he's got to be better than one of those backups. He's a good player. Um, watching him, I watched uh, the, the guy for uh, – for Birmingham, the quarterback they have, I can't remember his name now. He's a good player too. So it's just fun to watch. And the, I'll, I will tell you this, the viewing experience that they've put together is 
great yeah, with all the drone really shots. Yeah. Yes. The drone shots and the wire cams and the fact that you can hear the plays being called a lot of the time. That's kind of cool, especially for a guy like me, you know, a football coach that likes to hear the terminology and see if I kind of know what they're doing and all that stuff. It's really cool. And, and I, I like watching guys live out their dream kind of, and the product seemed to get a little bit better from week one to week two to me. Wasn't great. There was some bad football being played in week one. Week two got a little bit better. So I'm going to keep watching the USFL. Awesome. Maybe we can take in a USFL game at the place I'm going to talk about because we have been there once before. I'm going to talk about a place, a local place near me called Madison's. I'm getting excited that I've kind of found a local bar, a local. It's not really a bar. It's kind it's of a restaurant. Bar. It's a restaurant, but it's got a bar. You know, uh, it's a it's a it's a place that I kind of like. They serve good food. They have, you know, drinks. I don't drink, so it doesn't make much sense for me to care about the alcohol, but they do have it there. The thing that I really like is they have lots, they have like a bunch of big screen TVs. They have a really cool patio area and it's about a mile from my house. And so I can walk there if I want to. Everything else around me, I don't see any like scuzzy sports bar kind of places. I'd probably try and go there if I did. But this place is slightly upscale. They have a brunch that they serve. I went to brunch there today and it was really good. They serve a thing called a Dutch baby. It's like a pancake kind of. They got a whole bunch of them. They're really good. Um, but yeah, just a nice place. Give them some free advertising with my just a bit outside segment today uh, because it's just a really cool vibe that you got a really cool vibe there. And uh, I look forward to sort of spending some more days just chilling at Madison's on their patio, taking in a game and screaming at the USFL players. Yeah, it's a cool place. I've been there once. Uh, I got, I think I got like steak tips, maybe. It was good. Yeah, it was like little steak pieces with uh, onions and peppers and stuff. It's good stuff. For those of you that don't know, Mark lives in the general area of the Kansas City Art Institute and the Nelson kind of, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So it's about a mile from there. Yeah, I live right next to uh, the plaza and Westport kind of right there. And so I can walk very easily into either of those areas. And uh, yeah, I just like found this place and thought, hey, this place is really nice. It's my kind of place in that it doesn't seem like a lot of very wealthy people are there. And that that's what I'm really into. Uh, and so wealthy people uh, don't like us. <laughs> they don't like me because I'm, I don't know, abrasive. I'm not really sure what they should like me for is the, the fact shitty that I mustache, hope, I think. Well, uh, maybe, maybe that's it. Who knows? It could be the way I look people, but what, what they ought to like about me is I hope I host a dope podcast called Royals weekly. Yeah. And so, you know what, we'll be back with you next week to talk a little bit more Royals. Hopefully they will have gone on a winning streak and we can talk about something happy about how they destroyed the Yankees and embarrassed them, but we'll see Uh, until that time, be good to each other and go Royals. Royals.